so welcome everybody uh, back to our study so last week you know we uh, we were we started the study of the new testament or rather before that we looked at those um, you know the uh, the 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 400 silent years and we started looking at the at the uh, at the first section of the new testament which is the foundational truth so for those who are here maybe for the first time you you know you'll be missing something if you were not here last week but good news is that thanks to technology we have all of these messages recorded they're on the Calvary Bible Fellowship Bangalore YouTube channel you can go there I encourage you we have the whole series they're going back to the first week of January where we've gone through the entire uh, old testament from a birds eye view and now we are coming into the new testament so we saw just to uh, just to get us situated here that how the word of god uh, you know we can break it up for the sake of our understanding you know this is not how necessarily it's broken up in the scriptures but this is sort of you know us looking at it and trying to put it into categories that allow us to really understand it right and we've got three different sections one is the at the first we start with some books that provide the foundational truths whether it's in the old testament or the new testament we looked at the new testament being the four gospels i'll come back to that uh, and just recap and then then you know uh, the next set of books is the history and that's where the people of god in the old testament the people of israel are, are living out the, those foundational truths and they try to make it real in their lives and they have a little bit of success and then they have a lot of failure and we read a little history of how god judges them and brings them back and they come back to god and they repeat the cycle again and again and uh, in the history of israel they have they have various kings and kings come and kings go uh, and some of them are good kings and many of them are bad kings and then god brings judgment uh, upon them and um, you know sends them off into captivity uh, but uh, through it all we find that that god is fulfilling a purpose and he's preserving a line for the arrival of his son the promised redeemer the messiah the lord jesus christ and then the last set of books is the instructional books so we have the the po poems or the poetry books and the uh, prophetic books which which are giving instructions into that history so as the people are trying to live out the truths of the 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 foundational elements of the law in their life as they fail you know as god needs to give them some instruction uh, he sends these prophets he sends these these poets like david and solomon and others to write up things that that record uh, and give them more insight uh, into how they are to live their lives how they are to deal with problems uh, to make them aware of where they are falling short and we find the same structure in the in the new testament and you know uh, one of the points i made uh, i reiterated last week is how you know the bible is has so much unity in it you know the bible is written it's it's six six books it's it's um, you know written by by so many different authors over a, a long period of time and yet you know uh, although this structure is not there when we look at how it's structured where there is a real you know it's it almost seems like like somebody sat down and said let me put a book book together right that that really is structured in this way and and provides people all of these things that it tells them you know what is the truths by which they should live and then records the way they're doing it and then gives give, brings correction uh, you know into their consciousness um, you know and this is sort of what it would look like right this is the way we do things in in business you know we put a plan together and an approach and a uh, initiative together and then then we track how we are doing and then we course correct as we go on and that's exactly what this is and and yet you know this is you know when people 
doubt the veracity of the Bible or, or that God was behind it. When I look at some of these truths, it, you know, the way that it's all, now that we have the entire word of God, you know, the people during the time, they didn't have the whole word of God in their hands, but now that we have it and for the last, you know, thousands of years, we can look back and people have studied all of these things, you know, and, and, and put things together. We can see how beautifully God has orchestrated all of these. You know, it is the hand of God. It is the word of God. And, and, and you know, I just, the more I study it, you know, I just love the word of God. You know, how God speaks into our lives. And we're going to see that today as we go through the New Testament. Because, you know, that story in the New Testament is, is an incomplete story. That book of Acts, which we'll talk about today, uh, is an incomplete story. It's a story that's continuing on to this very day. It only, it only captures about the first, um, you know, the first uh, 60 years or so of church history, or maybe even less, uh, and, uh, and that story continues to this day, and yet we see some of those same principles and same practices uh, you know, being played out in, uh, in our life today, in the life of the church. Uh, and, and, if, and if I love something, you know, the next thing I love you know, as much as the word of God is the church, uh, and it's such a beautiful thing, and we'll, we'll look at that today. So just to uh, recap, um, Coming to the, so we looked at the foundational books, we looked at the uh, intertestamental period, the 400 silent years, so to speak. We found that God wasn't really silent in terms of his working, he was still working, he just wasn't speaking, and how he prepared the way, right? He prepared uh, for there to be a universal language, the Greek language, through all of these empires that were, that were becoming dominant in history, how he prepared the, the road systems, and, and we'll see today how Paul and Silas and Barnabas and, and all these early church planters and missionaries start using that network to push the gospel into Asia Minor and into Europe and into the uttermost parts of the world. How God was orchestrating all of these things so that, you know, at the appointed time, when the fullness of time had come, he sent his son into the world to die for the sins of the world. So, if we can now move on to, uh, let's see if I can make this work. Okay, there we go. So very quickly, you know, we looked at the foundational books, which is the gospel. The gospel is the gospel message is the foundation for the church, for the New Testament teaching. And we found that uh, we looked at the four books and we found that each of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, provide a different, um, you know, a facet, uh, looks at a different facet of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And we saw that, um, that Mark presents Jesus as, uh, as the king. Um, uh, sorry, Matthew presents Jesus as the king, Mark presents him as the servant, uh, jo Luke presents him as, as a man, uh, his humanity, and John, uh, the apostle John presents Jesus as God, presents his, his deity, and we looked at various aspects of that, I'm not going to repeat all of that, you can see the timelines there of when they were written, and at the end of that, what uh, Sujit uh, read this morning, was, the, uh, was Matthew 28, 18 to 20, where, where Jesus uh, uh, gives this great commission, right? And by the way, you can follow in the, in the notes uh, that, uh, that you have, uh, that, that the handouts that were sent to you uh, on WhatsApp, you know, most of the whatever you see on the screen here will be in there. So Jesus gives us mandate to go into all the world and make disciples uh, of all nations, right? Uh, teaching them, uh, teaching, you know, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and uh, teaching them to obey, uh, you know, obey my commandments. And that is called the Great Commission. And then now we come into the historical book of Acts. And in this book of Acts, we, um, we begin to see the... Um, can you guys go to the next slide, guys? I'm having trouble with this. Yeah, next. All right, just stay right there. So um, 
you know, uh, so, so, so in the book of Acts, it's, it's the book of history, right? It's that second block, uh, which, which gives us the history of the church, of how the early church, the first believers who were saved there on the day of Pentecost and the apostles together, how they carry out the mandate that the Lord Jesus Christ has given them. And it's really fascinating uh, history there as we go through the, through the book of Acts. And, and so this is a historical book, and we're going to go through that. And let's just look at some of the key aspects uh, in, the, in the Word of God. Can you guys uh, hit the next? Yeah. Um, so Acts begins with the commission, right? Begins with this great commission. And, and we find a lot of key things in, in, in this book. So it is the history of how, uh, of how the church came to be, how the church originated, of the early years of the church, what are some of the problems they had, how did the church grow from Jerusalem out into the rest of the world, and, uh, and it provides us several things. The first thing it, it provides is a pattern. It provides a pattern for how the, um, uh, and, uh, yeah, okay, the pattern for how, uh, for, uh, for the church, right? So, so keep in mind that before this, there's never been a church. Okay, there's never been a church and a lot of things are happening for the very first time. So today, you know, we've got the experience of some 2000 years of church life and we can go back to our own history or, uh, or you know, and, and find out how different churches handle this. So, you know, they were facing persecution as Christians for the first time. Uh, you know, and we see some important principles coming out in Acts 4, 4 and 5. Peter establishes this principle which, which um, you know, uh, we keep repeating when, when we get into situations which says that we ought to obey God rather than man. This was something that had to, a pattern that had to be established. We see a pattern of how they deal with conflicts in the church. In Acts chapter 6, there was a, there was a problem with, uh, you know, the, the, the Gentile widows not being served. And they, they deal with that and they establish a pattern of, you know, the, of, of appointing deacons to take care of, the, 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 you know, the service-oriented affairs of the church while the elders focused on preaching and teaching uh, the word and prayer. Uh, we see in Acts chapter 10, as Cornelius is saved, we see them dealing with Gentiles coming into the church. And by the way, you know, this, this matter of Gentiles coming to the church was a big deal at the time, okay? Because when you, if you pay attention to that, that, uh, that verse in um, that, that uh, passage that Sujit read from Acts chapter 1, where Jesus is giving his final instruction right before his ascension, you know, keep in mind that he was speaking to a completely Jewish audience. All the apostles were Jewish, right? And, and he says that, uh, you know, you go and wait for the Holy Spirit. You know, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit, Acts 1 verse 5. Uh, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, who asked him? The apostles, right? Uh, asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So see, in their mind, it was still, he is the Messiah, but he's coming to restore the kingdom to Israel. He's coming to free Israel from Roman rule. He's coming to, to, to uh, you know, to, to raise up the nation of Israel. And, and, and even when he told them to go and preach the gospel, he said, go and be witnesses. And, th and that's why Jesus was very specific, right? He said, be witnesses for me, verse uh, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 in Jerusalem and in all Judea, okay, that's fine. Uh, Samaria, well, you know, we're not so sure. And to the ends of the earth, right? And we find the church staying there. And then when they, when the, when the Gentiles start getting saved and they start hearing, you know, when you come a little later, you find that, um, you know, that, uh, uh, that there is, uh, there's word that comes back and some, some uh, apostles like, like Philip, you know, they go into, 
uh, they go into Samaria, right? And then they, and they hear this word that, that Christ is preached in, in Samaria. Uh, and, uh, and, all, and, and you know what they said, what they did there is the Jerusalem church sends Peter, right? So verse uh, chapter 8 of Acts and verse 14. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Okay, uh, so they sent Peter and John there like an investigating party to find out, hey, what's going on? We thought this gospel was only for us, right? This is, this is totally odd. You can imagine if something like, how, how can this be? You know, how, how can the Samaritans who, who are like the, 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 you know, the, the lowest kind of people in the eyes of the Israelites, they used to, you know, when they were going from southern Israel to northern Israel, they would bypass Samaria so they, they didn't have to step their foot on Samaritan soil. Uh, that's how much they looked down upon the Samaritans, right? And you saw Jesus, how he broke that by going and speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well. And the disciples themselves were like, why are you talking to this woman, right? And, and they're like, wow, there's something going on in Samaria. People are getting saved. People are receiving this message. They're receiving the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, uh, this doesn't make any sense. And so they sent Peter and John to investigate. And the same thing happened after Cornelius was saved. So, so you know, uh, the acceptance of Gentiles, there, there was a pattern that needed to be established there. Uh, and the following of the Jewish law, there was a, a big controversy that came up and said, well, now that these people are being saved, uh, do we need to, are, we, are they supposed to follow all the rituals and the, the requirements and the requirement for circumcision, all of these things of the law? And so they had a big uh, you know, uh, conference there in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 that they called the Jerusalem Council and they try to resolve these issues. So we see a lot of patterns being established in the book of Genesis. The second thing we see is that it portrays the life of Jesus' followers as a life of adventure. When you read the story of Paul and how he went before kings and he was shipwrecked and, and if you, I'm not going to read it there because we don't have a lot of time but you can go read 2 Corinthians 11:23 if you want to you want to get an idea of the the adventurous life of Paul how he was beaten 40 times by the Jews or 40 lashes and and how he was shipwrecked and he was hungry and he was um, you know just sort of going through this time it's almost you know it's it's material for a for a big uh, you know adventure movie right and maybe somebody has made movies of it um, you know it, it's a great story uh, and then we see uh, that Acts provides insight into the expansion of the church. Okay, Acts provides insight for us into the expansion of the church. So, you know, when Jesus gave us a parable of the mustard seed, okay, he said that the mustard seed is so small, it's planted and it grows and it becomes into a big tree. And as we follow through the book of Acts, this is what we see, right? We, we, we see in the book of Acts the expansion of the church. Uh, often that was forced by persecution. When they became stuck, God allowed persecution that drove them out into the the other regions and so churches started getting established we see that it contains some important sermons okay very important sermons by peter in acts chapter 2 and stephen in acts 7 and several other chapters that have paul's sermons in athens and before agrippa and felix and all these kind of things so you know i i encourage you to go and study these in the context uh, that we're talking about here and there's much to learn and and one of the things we see in these sermons is that um you know, is that they were very focused uh, on the uh, on the gospel, right? They were focused on the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were focused on his his resurrection, and that's important. That our message has to be built around the gospel. That was the message of the early church. You study what Stephen talked about. You study what. 
Peter talked about on the day of Pentecost. You study all of Paul's messages. It's all very, very gospel-centered. The church is to be gospel-centered. Acts shows us the important places in the growth of the church. So places such as uh, Jerusalem, Antioch, Corinth, Ephesus, Philippi, Thessalonica, Rome, and many others. And many of the letters that we're going to look at later uh, this morning were written to these churches. And, uh, you know, one important point that I want to close with um, is, that, um, is that God is, uh, in this section anyway, is that God is building his church, right? God is building his church. Uh, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the persecution, no matter what the acceptance or the rejection, uh, no matter what the conflict within the church or outside the church, uh, you know, he has a master plan. You know, God, it's his church. And, you know, that's I'm reminded of the words of the Lord Jesus where he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know, God has been building his church for the last 2,000 years. Uh, you know, people have tried all kinds of things to, to, to uh, destroy the church, starting with the Roman emperors like Nero, you know, putting, persecuting the Christians. But, but that flame has continued to flicker and it's only continue to grow and persecution has only made it blossom uh, even more and so this is something that we don't need to be burdened about oh what's going to happen to the church you know what we are called to do you know that's God's job you know it's God who's building his church not me not any of us right but we are called to be faithful servants to be faithful disciples to do that work and I want to just take a few minutes here to 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 just go through very quickly with one aspect in mind and that is the church planting model that we see in the book of Acts. So we're just going to look at Acts chapter 8 through 14 and, uh, and look at that church planting model. And this is the way the philosophy that God reveals to us in the book of Acts uh, of how churches are to be planting. So we see a group um, that started in Jerusalem. It grows, it grows in, in, in life, in community, in numbers. And some move out into Judea and Samaria and, and start more groups and then into uh, Asia Minor and then into Europe and that is a church planting model so let's just quickly look at Acts chapter 8 and verse 1 so we see here right after uh, Stephen is, is uh, martyred uh, you know it says that at that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles okay and so they were scattered so what happened is God allowed this persecution and the people were scattered where? Into Judea and Samaria. From where? From Jerusalem. Remember, this is exactly the command of the Lord Jesus. And if people wouldn't go, the God made it happen, right? He drove them out of Jerusalem, or some of them anyway, you know, into Judea and Samaria. And then uh, when we come to chapter 9, uh, uh, verse, uh, I'm just taking a quick, quick survey through this chapter 9 and verse 31. Uh, it says that then uh, the churches, remember when we started off in chapter 8, there was only a church in Jerusalem, right? Look at this, chapter 8, verse 31. Then the churches throughout, where? All Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So we see people going out, you know, yes, driven by persecution, but planting churches across Galilee and across Samaria. And then we come to Acts chapter 11, verse um, 19 to 21. So what ha where are we now as we go through this history? Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, 
preaching the word to no one but the Jews only, right? Uh, but some of them were men from Cy Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they came to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So they went from Samaria further north up into Antioch. And there are two Antiochs in scripture, by the way. This is the Antioch in Syria, right? It's like a little bit north of of, uh, of uh, the modern-day nation of Israel, and they go there, and now we find the church going further out, and there are people coming from different places, and they're hearing the gospel, and what's happening? Uh, it says, the, uh, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So we find churches continuing to be planted. And then uh, in, uh, in uh, verse 22 of that same chapter, we find that the news of these things came to the uh, ears of the church at Jerusalem. So church of Jerusalem was still involved in this effort and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch and when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with the purpose of heart, that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith and a great many people were added to the Lord. So they sent Barnabas uh, to go and minister to them, to encourage them and Barnabas you know, perhaps being a more, much more mature believer at that time uh, brings his wisdom and through him the Holy Spirit works and many more people were added to the church. And then we come to chapter 12 and verse 24. You know, uh, and what do we see here? The word of God grew and multiplied. The word of God grew and multiplied. There were more and more churches being planted as people kept going out into the community. And then we come to chapter 13, verse 1. Uh, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, and it names all of them, and uh, it says in verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now it's time for the next uh, round of church planting. What did the Holy Spirit say to the elders and the, uh, the teachers there at, uh, at Antioch? Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So here are Barnabas and Saul, and by the way, in between, I didn't, get, I didn't mention that, but Barnabas, seeing a need for teaching there, he went and brought Saul, who was in Tarsus, brought him down, and he spent time there teaching them, right? Um, and, but then led by the Holy Spirit, they said, let's send Barnabas, let's commission them to go out as a launch team into, um, you know, into, uh, towards Asia Minor, right? And so they set out, and then that's the beginning of Paul's, uh, and Barnabas's first missionary journey. And as we go through Acts, we see he took two more, three missionary journeys uh, that Paul took. And then Acts 13, verse 13, you know, moving on in the, in the storyline. When Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John departing from them. So John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, he was with them as, as well. Uh, and uh, uh, between Acts 13, 13 and Acts 13, 52, uh, we see that they established this testimony in Antioch of Pisidia. Now Antioch, this is the other Antioch, okay? There's Antioch in Syria where the first, and that, that was where the believers were first called Christians in, in Acts 11, at the end of Acts 11, we see that. And then they move further north to the other Antioch, which is a completely different city further north. It's sort of around the bend going, if you can picture, if you know your, if you studied geography or you remembered your geography map, right? You're going up from Israel and you know, into Asia Minor, Turkey, that's sort of where Antioch in Pisidia is, right? Uh, and, um, and we find here a church being established, and uh, I'll just read one verse there, uh, Acts 13, or a couple of verses, verse 48 to 49. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, 
And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up uh, devout and prominent women. So we see the Jews trying to, um, you know, bring up persecution. But but the amazing thing is that that whole area, okay, throughout all the region, uh, you know, and now Gentiles were being added to the church. It wasn't just Jews and Samaritans, but it was it was wholesale Gentiles, actual Gentiles, not people of Jewish origin who were living there, uh, um, you know, being added to the church. And then in uh, uh, and then later on, you know, we see uh, that uh, Barnabas and Saul they return, right? They they come back around uh, on their way back in in Acts 14. Uh, you know, on their, they go and they finish the missionary and they come back and they encourage the churches. Uh, and uh, if you go to uh, chapter uh, 14 and verse uh, 21, 22, it says they, they went back and they strengthened the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So they were facing persecution and they are being encouraged. And when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord. And then they returned to the church of Antioch and gave a report of what they had accomplished, what God had accomplished on that first missionary journey. You know, and, uh, and we see here that they start putting in place a system of church governance, which then is, you know, the, the instruction for that is found uh, later in, in the instructional books in Timothy and Titus. So this is the model that we see God operating in, right? This is how the church was being planted. This is how the church was multiplying. And I just want to take a minute here uh, and talk a little bit about our vision. You know, we, we have been through a lot of things in the last few years, and, and now, you know, we believe we are at a point where we need to really take seriously this Great Commission. You know, and CBF needs to become uh, a church planting church. And, you know, this is what the Lord asked his disciples to do. And that, com com that commandment, that uh, that commission holds true today just as it did back in those days. And we see this pattern in the book of Acts. And the primary method by which the early church did this is uh, fulfill the great commission was through this process of church planting by sending out teams of people from within the church who were gifted, who had the heart for it with prayer, with fasting, send them out to plant churches and then a church grew there and the believers, the disciples continued to mature and then they sent out people into the, into the further regions. And um, you know what, you know, God has blessed us with, with, uh, with resources. He's blessed us with people who are, who are talented, who are gifted. Um, he's blessed us with much. Uh, and uh, the need that is in front of us, especially in our city of Bangalore is phenomenal, it's huge. And so if you want to ask the question, why is CBS, CBF considering planting more churches? We, we announced this uh, uh, a few, uh, a couple of months ago that this is what we would like to do. We would like you as a church to pray with us. And people, you know, we've, we heard a few sentences, oh, why do we want to do that? Why not? Things are going well. Well, it's because we want to fulfill the Great Commission. We want to fulfill the commission that the Lord Jesus gave to his disciples right before he ascended up into his heaven. His very last words to his his disciples you know we want to fulfill that great commission given by our lord it's because that was the pattern of the early church it's because there's a huge need right in front of us it's because we believe the lord has blessed us with the resources and the spiritual gifts that are needed for this and and uh, you know what we as elders have been doing uh, lately um, you know is meeting with others who have been involved in church planning because we realize that we need to figure this out for ourselves. We need to understand how we go about this. We need to understand the challenges. And, um, and we are very much engaged with that. We'll continue to, 
to, to study and learn and start taking actions. Uh, but we, I would just ask on behalf of the elders that all the church members, please pray with us on this matter. It is, it is a very important thing. It is something that we believe is the next chapter of Calvary Bible Fellowship. You know, we want to plant independent churches supported by us, just as, you know, the Jerusalem church was supporting all these churches by sending teachers. You know, we'll, we, we plan to put together uh, uh, a, uh, an effort, uh, you know, built around what we see, the principles we see in the book of Acts. And I think, you know, with the right amount of prayer, with the right amount of commitment, uh, you know, I think the Lord will bless that effort. And I, I just encourage all of you who have a heart for that to come and talk to us. You know, we need people who have a heart to go out and plant churches. You know, as we, as we get so big, it becomes more difficult to have that community. And that's another reason why we need to split up so that, you know, we can become more effective as smaller communities going out into the communities where we live and bringing people in. And that needs to be the mandate. That is the mandate of the Lord that we need to fulfill. So very quickly, I'm going to just um, go to a chart like we do. Uh, next slide, guys. Um, you know, and, and talk about three divisions in the book of Acts, okay? Uh, chapters 1 to 7, chapters 8 to 12, and chapters 13 to 28, just so that you get a sense of it. And we are, we are looking at multiple uh, factors there. When was it written? The key persons. Uh, you've got places in your notes to fill in the blanks. Um, the audience, the pattern, uh, and then what are the key events, right? So I'm, I'm uh, uh, running a little short on time, uh, but, uh, so I'll just sort of rush through it a little bit. Uh, but but we'll, we'll hit the highlights there. So in the first seven chapters, we see the beginning of the church and the key person. There were many people involved there. You'll see their names as you read through those chapters. But the main person there is Peter, right? Peter is the, the apostle, the fisherman, standing up on the day of Pentecost, speaking to, to thousands of people and, and, and thousands get saved by that one message. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a primarily Jewish audience. It's right there, primarily in Jerusalem, right? And, uh, and, and you can see uh, all of the things that, that I mean, uh, most of you have read through this, but, you know, we, we, it starts with the ascension of Christ, and it ends with persecution, right? The persecution of Stephen, uh, he's stoned to death. Um, and before that, he gives a beautiful history uh, that uh, presents the gospel to his persecutors, and then right after that, they, they stone him to death. And then we come to chapter 8 to 12, where we go from the beginning of the church to the growth of the church. And here, the focus shifts from... Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. And the key place here is Antioch in Syria, right? Which is a little further north of Samaria. And slowly the church is moving out of Jerusalem and heading up to the north. Um, and uh, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. We see that in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. And you can see that there were many new churches. There were problems um, with, uh, with the, 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 the introduction of uh, of non-Jewish believers, and they work through this, right? And then one thing that's common in all these all these sections uh, of history is that persecution, right? Persecution is a constant, and so we shouldn't be surprised today when the church is persecuted. This has been the case from the very beginning, right? From the very first days of the church, it's been a persecuted church. And then finally, in uh, chapters 13 to 28, we see the growth of of the church into Asia Minor. So you go up north, and then turn the corner there to the left and then it starts spreading across into Asia Minor and Europe. And of course, the key person, and in the, sorry, in, the, in chapters 8 to 12, uh, some of the key people there are Philip, Stephen, and then Peter continues on as well. You know, Peter takes the gospel to the, uh, the, the family of Cornelius. And then later on in the last section, 
you know, it's going towards Rome and Paul, of course, is the key person there, right? There were others with him. There was Timothy, there was uh, Silas, there was Barnabas. Uh, but Paul is the one who sort of dominates that era. God calls him out. You know, what a beautiful story. He was the one who was persecuting the church and he became the one who, who led the, um, you know, uh, the biggest expansion of the church. And not only that, gave us the bulk of those instructional books. So that's the, that's the book of Acts. Um, the historical book of Acts, it's just one book. As I said, it only captures, uh, you know, the story up to the point of uh, Paul being imprisoned, his first imprisonment, right? He goes, he, he asks to be judged by Caesar, to stand judgment before Caesar, and they put him in, in Rome, and he's in house arrest, and that's the, first, that's the ending of the book of Acts. But some of that history is continued even in the instructional books a little bit, but, uh, but of course, a lot of that is recorded for us now in, uh, in textbooks of church history. We can track it. Uh, all the way through. So hope that gives you a good idea of the book of Acts, the historical book. And so let, very quickly in about the next uh, few minutes, I want to just uh, run through the instructional books. So what are the instructional books? You can just build out that slide, guys. Um, in the instructional books, uh, they're, they're often called the epistles, okay? And, and the word epistle just means a long letter. These are letters. They're letters written by different people, primarily by Paul, by other apostles. Uh, by an unknown author uh, for Hebrews, and it's written to churches and it's written to believers, right? And, and they look back at the gospel, at the cross, uh, and the foundational teachings of Christ and the gospel, uh, our standing in Christ. The book of Romans talks a lot about the gospel, uh, our standing in Christ, what it means, talks about sanctification, talks about, looks back at the Great Commission, and provides the doctrinal and practical instruction on how the church is to live the gospel life, right? And, and interestingly, that uh, some of these books were actually being written even as that history that we see in Acts was playing out, okay? The book of Acts was actually written a little later. Um, so we find that, that, um, that some of the things that are in these, the themes, right? I've listed out some of those themes there that are addressed in the letters. Uh, how is the church to operate in the cultures where they live? So we find a lot of, um, you know, instruction about eating meat offered to idols, right? Uh, of of uh, celebrating certain days and things like that. So the people, the believers, as the church grew, they were going into different cultures and different practices and different ethnicities, and they were struggling with, well, what does this mean? Can we continue doing that? We have some of that this today as well, right? When we have believers from other backgrounds in India coming to the faith, you know, can they continue to, you know, put a, what is this thing called? Bindi on their, on their forehead, right? Um, is that okay to do? And they had to grapple with these kind of issues, and, and it's, it's wonderful that this is all recorded for us because it gives us principles to deal with that today. Um, how are they to face persecution, right? What kind of, how do you encourage them? Remember when, 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 uh, when Paul talks about the return of Christ, right, in Thessalonians, he says, after, after you know, giving a nice little discourse on it, he says, comfort one another with these words. You know, this is your glorious hope. Comfort yourself, encourage yourself in the midst of your persecution with this, these words. Um, you know, how do you handle problems in the church? They had lots of problems, right? We'll see that in a, in a, in a minute here. Uh, how are they to be encouraged? How are they to spot false teaching? The, a lot of these instructional books talk a lot about it. The Galatians, uh, you know, he calls them the foolish Galatians because they were falling prey to, to, to Jew, uh, Jewish, um, you know, people who were trying to push the legalistic uh, Judaism uh, upon the church. Uh, and so faith is the center stage and suffering 
uh, is seen as an aspect of discipleship, right? And this is the case with, with, with the whole Christian life. It is a life of suffering, suffering for the Lord, suffering for your faith. Uh, and through that suffering, God uses that to disciple us, to, to, to help us grow, to make us more in the image uh, of his son. And so I want to just go to the next uh, chart there, and we're going to look at three, uh, yeah, three blocks. Yeah, that's fine. That, yeah, one more and stop. Okay, so we're going to break this up into three, three blocks, okay? The first block is made up of nine letters from Paul to specific churches, okay? So these are the, I've listed them there, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, okay? So these were, the emphasis here, uh, we'll come back to that. So these were written to specific churches by one person, the Apostle Paul. And these were mostly, uh, all, almost all of them were churches that Paul either planted or was involved in planting uh, or came out of Paul's uh, missionary journeys. Okay, the second block is uh, nine general letters. Okay, we call them general because they were not specific to a particular church, uh, but they were more general in nature. And it's by multiple authors to believers, right? They were not written to a specific church, but they were sort of written to groups of believers. So, uh, you know, Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, uh, Jude and Revelation. So when you look at the book of James, he, he writes it to the 12 tribes scattered. James was the, was the elder of the church of Jerusalem, and he was writing to his sheep who were part of Jerusalem, who were scattered uh, in the regions because of persecution, right? You look at uh, the book of John, and, and it's written to groups of believers, right? Uh, it's not addressing a particular church. It's more general in nature. And then the last set are four letters from Paul that are written to leaders of the church. That's First and Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. Um, and um, you know, the the this is a nice way of breaking it up because it gives you a little bit of a, a roadmap as you look at these to understand how they are different. And the tone is a little different. You know, uh, for example, when you go into the the middle set of books about uh, the the ones written to believers, you won't find a lot of things about church practice there, right? So if you want to know about church practice, you go to the nine epistles written by Paul to the churches, right? If you want to know about personal growth of believers and maturing, okay, you want to, uh, you know, you want to look at those middle set of nine books, the general uh, epistles. Uh, and, and if you want to know about, uh, about leadership and governance in the church, you go and look at uh, the last set of books, right? So, so it's a nice little way of organizing it so that we can, we can understand it as we study it deeper. So very quickly, just go and uh, click one time, guys. So let's just look at group one. Uh, I just called it group one, group two, and group three. I couldn't think of a better uh, uh, title for them. And what do we find is the emphasis in the first set of books. It's about teaching, doctrine, um, teaching and doctrine. Uh, it's about principles. It's about justification, right? It's about, you know, Romans looks back at what it means to be justified. Um, it's, um, and, and then we can see some of the key themes there, right? How do we live? Uh, how do we work? How do we be a community of faith? Uh, what are the key doctrines of the faith? Uh, and, uh, and what was happening there is we find uh, that in the early church, it was very messy. I mean, they had a lot of problems. You go read 1 Corinthians and you see, man, that, that church was so messed up, okay? Sometimes we wonder that some of our churches are messed up. I mean, they were, if you read it and you read between the lines, it seems like they were all coming there and everybody was trying to jump on top of everybody and everybody was breaking the line to go and grab food and, and somebody was speaking in tongues and somebody else was getting up and shouting over him. And I mean, it was a complete mess, okay? So the church 
has not been perfect. The church has been messy, even in the early church. This, these letters, nine letters had to be written to tell them, you know, how to deal with some of these problems, right? Uh, and, uh, and over time, we see uh, things changing in those churches. So that's the first, um, first, uh, or that first group there. And then when we come to the second group, the general letters. So here we find that it goes from, um, you know, from, uh, from uh, teaching and doctrine to more personal spiritual growth and maturity. So there's a lot of emphasis on the maturing of the individual believers. There's a lot of emphasis on practice. There's a lot of emphasis instead of justification on sanctification. By the way, the problem with doing some of these, uh, uh, you know, uh, classifying things like this is that it's never perfect, okay? So this is not to say that there's not talk, of, there's a lot of talk of sanctification in group one, okay? What I mean is this, these are the things that are emphasized, okay? Uh, there's a lot of practice, uh, you know, doctrine in group two as well, uh, but the emphasis there is on practical things about about the growth uh, of believers, right? About suffering and, and things like that. And then the letters from Paul, group three, to the um, uh, to the leaders, right? That's all about the key themes about instructing to church leaders on their own personal growth. So if you are an elder uh, or a deacon uh, or someone who aspires to leadership in the church, uh, go to the next. Uh, slide I mean next yeah thank you uh, you know th these are books that are important to study it gives us the qualification of elders and deacons and leaders in the church and and how they are to lead the church right um, so um, so that's where we find those teachings and when you put all these together we find sort of the complete sort of end-to-end -end instruction book for the church right and um, and there's a couple of uh, you know I've, I've sort of uh, shaded in red there Romans uh, and and Hebrews and these are sort of cornerstone books, right? Romans and Hebrews are cornerstone books for each section. I'll just quickly mention this and then wrap up. So Romans starts with the sin of man, okay? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then it explains the solution to that sin, which is the gospel. And then uh, it says that we have been set apart, okay? We have been sanctified or set apart uh, by to God to be his disciples, disciples of Christ. And then everything about our Salvation happens under the sovereignty of God, you know, for all things work together for good to those who are the called uh, according to his purpose, right? Uh, and then our salvation itself is to work itself out in a life of service. Chapter 12 to the end of Romans talks about practical aspects of, uh, you know, of salvation. How is that salvation supposed to play out in our lives? And, and this becomes sort of the cornerstone for all of those other eight books that are talking about uh, the church because the church is founded on that uh, on that you know the cornerstone of the church's foundation is the gospel right the the foundation is the lord jesus the cornerstone is the gospel and so we find that the, that in those other eight epistles it's talking about you know how to go about living this out within the church community and then hebrews it takes a different tack so remember these next set of books are uh, are are instructions to believers it's about maturing right and uh, um, and there are warnings. It's full of warnings in all these, uh, you know, in Hebrews, in Peter, uh, sec first, second Peter, and first, second John, third John. We find warnings to believers, right? So uh, you, uh, this, this is in your uh, in your notes. You can note this down. And by the way, the notes will be shared with you by by Ben later. Uh, there are warnings about drifting from the word. There are warnings about obedience. There are warnings about uh, warnings to practice uh, what we know. Warnings about willful sinning there are warnings about the need for correction in hebrews 12 uh, and and so there are all of these warnings and and you know it's interesting when you look at when you when you look at it from a timing perspective 
you know, in group one, you find it's, it's a growing time, right? There's a lot of excitement. Uh, yeah, they're running, it's messy. They're running into a lot of problems, but people are really enthusiastic. I mean, the Corinthians, as, as messy as they were, they were like really enthusiastic. They wanted to show their gifts, you know, unlike sometimes here on Sunday morning where everybody sits quietly. I mean, they were jumping up and down, you know, before Stephen could get up, somebody else would get up over there and shout him down, you know. They were that excited about, about praising the Lord, okay? Uh, but then when you come to uh, these other epistles, the second group, the general epistles, we find that, you know, as time goes, you know, that, that um, you know, uh, the, the enthusiasm has sort of died down. You know, now there's a lot of warnings about, about immaturity. You know, Paul says, uh, or sorry, the writer to the Hebrew says that even though you should be uh, drinking, eating meat, you know, you still need milk. You're not maturing. You're not progressing, uh, right? And... Uh, uh, and so you can see that shift, right? And this is very common, isn't it? You know, when, when, when a new believer comes in, you know, he or she is so enthusiastic. They want to study the word and, and they want to, uh, you know, they're just like drinking from a fire hose. You know, they're like, uh, they, they, they just want to study. They want to be with believers. That, that excitement is there. And then, you know, over time that becomes a little jaded, right? And, and you stop growing and you, you, you stagnate. Uh, and then somebody has to come and pick you up and say, wake up. You know, get back in the word. Are you doing your quiet time? All right, this is the way the church is supposed to work. We're supposed to sharpen each other. We're supposed to encourage each other. We have to, you know, let us not, uh, you know, th there are all those let us phrases in, in Hebrews. Let us not uh, give up coming together. Let us encourage each other, right? Uh, unto love and good works. And so, so we see this sort of playing out in the early church. So whatever we're going through today, it's no different, right? But praise God, he has given us the instructions he's given us the warnings and and it's very and and as we look at the structure what i love about the structure it, it really puts a, a little bit of a framework to it right if you are struggling as a believer you know where do you want to go you want to go to those general epistles okay you want to go to hebrews you want to go to james first second third john first second peter uh, jude right go to these to to be warned to be encouraged to examine you know where am i falling short why am i not maturing as a believer in Christ. If you all know about things going on in the church, you go to the, uh, you know, to Paul's uh, nine epistles to the churches. So I just want to conclude with a couple of thoughts. One is that God cares deeply about his church. Okay, I don't have time to read it. Uh, Ephesians 3, 8 to 13, he says that, you know, that, that he's showing his manifold wisdom to the principalities and powers, you know, in the church. Uh, the church is so important in the plan of God. It, it was, it's the ultimate you know, uh, culmination of his work of redemption was to form this body uh, of, of sinners saved uh, by the grace of God, by trust, by believing in the sacrifice of his son and building them up into becoming his people, into becoming people that are, that are, that are, that are, that are formed in the image of Christ. And we see this in the book of Acts in all of these instructions. He wants disciples to become more Christ-like. And all the instruction, all the reproof, all the correction that we need and the churches today need are provided in these instructional books of the New Testament. Second point I'll make is, is just to remind us, as I did earlier, that we have a mission. And that's a mission given by Christ to multiply. It is not a mission to sit in all in one room and feel comfortable. It is a mission to go out and multiply the church, to, to, to plant that mustard seed and have it grow into a big tree so that the birds of the air may find comfort and rest. We need to each be part of that mission. We need to make that mission our, our own. We as a church need to be a part 
of that mission. And so this is the beautiful story of the New Testament, right? And what we're going to do over the next few weeks, as I said, this is, this is meant to just whet your appetite. I encourage you to, to, to study deeper. Even the lessons we go through are not that deep, right? They're just picking certain lessons throughout the New Testament. So we'll spend a good, uh, good number of weeks in the foundational section and then uh, you know, more in the instructional section uh, of the book and a little bit in the historical section. And uh, you know, I'm certainly looking forward to that. And uh, you know, I hope you are too. And I hope that this will encourage you to go deeper into the word, uh, uh, not, not for the sake of building up knowledge, but for the sake of growing into maturity and growing into Christ-likeness. May God enable all of us to do that. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for this time. Thank you that we can come before you, Lord, and uh, study your word. We thank you for the unity of your word, the beauty of your word, how it speaks into our lives, Lord, uh, just as it did uh, to the early church, Father. And we just want to pray that we may always, Lord, as a church, as individuals, be true to your word, that we may uphold its truths, Lord, and we may be, uh, uh, we may be um, Lord, sincere in in desiring to grow, Lord. We just pray, O oh Lord, that, that, that each and every person in this church would mature into Christ-likeness uh, as they live their day-to-day -day lives, Father. We commit the rest of our time here into your hands, and we give you all praise and glory in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.